Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
never lose. It will never lose. It will never lose. It's power. Brother Irvin, will you lead our prayer? As we continue to worship choir, will you stand? Holy is the Lord. Since my life, He controls. 
one of the perks, but one of the perks of being married to me is getting drug into things last minute 
in the in the music ministry. So, Amy, I said, it's been a long time since I heard you sing Hide Thou Me. I, w- I want you to sing Hide Thou Me. She says, it's 15 minutes till 6. I said, it's okay. You know it. Just sing it. So, Hide Thou Me. It's an old song.
that was 15 minutes preparation. I would hate to see what y'all did with a full week. My goodness. There we go. I hate to start preaching for I know everybody's alive that's listening, you know. So, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Living as a Christian in this age. Living as a Christian in this age. I almost titled this message, Living as a Christian at the End of Times. Uh, because we're, we're going to spend some time uh, looking at the fact that this is the end times, and it probably would have gained more internet notoriety had I said living as a Christian at the end of days. Uh, but I kind of wanted to, to piggyback some of the theme from this morning's message uh, on having a servant's heart and on serving one another and loving one another and how uh, to love Christ exemplifies itself and how we love and serve and, and touch one another and impact the lives around us. And this, this text really lends itself uh, to that. But I don't think as we get started that I really have to spend a whole lot of time building context for the fact that we're living in what most of us would consider the end of days. I think we can take one look around this world and the things that are going on and, and, and the, the things that are now allowed uh, by governments and by the world's standards, and we would have to say, surely the Lord won't tarry much longer. Surely this world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse as, as, the, as the Scripture in Romans teaches uh, we just continue to deteriorate the further and further and further away from God that we get. And so please stand tonight in honor of the reading of what we believe to be no less than the holy and inspired and errant words of God from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would dwell among us, Lord, for the next few minutes, that you would be glorified in all we say and in all we do, that you would be honored in every utterance, Lord God, and that, God, you would draw us nearer to you through the teaching of your word this very evening. For it's in your holy and precious name that we pray, as all God's children said, as you may be seated. The first thing I want us to recognize from our text this evening is there's a date that we have to remember. A date that we have to remember. Now church, I said we're living in the last days. Most of us understood that. Most of us agree with that statement. And we begin to think that. But I want to talk about uh, when he says the end of all things is at, is at hand. He's literally referring to the end of days. And when Peter is writing that, you got to remember Peter is writing that a long time ago, isn't he? Peter's writing it a long time ago. And he's saying the end of days is at hand. So what is the age that, that Peter is talking about? Well, he's talking about the time that began when the Messiah came came to this earth and was born in Bethlehem. Uh, that is, that is the, the end of days in terms of the age that we are living in. It began when Messiah stepped out of glory and came to dwell among men. And, and this end of days will end when Messiah steps out on a cloud to call his children. And that is the age in which Peter is referring to as the end of days. So it began with Jesus' first coming, and it will end with Jesus' second coming. And that's what Peter's talking about as he talks about the, the end of days that we're living in. 1 Peter 1 and 20 says that Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the world, and he was manifested in these last times for us. 
Hebrews 1-2 says that in the last days, God speaks to us through his Son, which refers to his time on earth. Hebrews 9-26 says of Jesus that he has suffered since the foundation of the world, but in the end of days, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So what was the age that Peter was talking about? It is the age we're living in. And it began with Jesus coming and taking sin on him as sacrifice. And so God has been calling this the end of days since the time that Jesus was present here on earth. And it doesn't conclude until he returns again. But we said at the beginning, we feel like the end is near. We look at the world around us and we feel like the time is coming when Jesus is about to come back. We feel like Gabriel's about to toot his horn, don't we? We look around and we say that, but guess what? The disciples said that same thing when they looked around at the world. They said, I can't believe the oppression of Rome against us now. I can't believe the things that they're doing over in Corinth. I can't believe the things that they're allowed to get away with. Surely we find ourselves in the end of days. And guess what? They were no less accurate than we are today when we look around and say, my goodness, they're letting men use women's restrooms. Surely God won't tarry much longer. We're not looking any different than they were, and we're no less correct. And so how do we say then that the end is near and then turn around and say that Christians have been looking to this end for some 2,000 years? If it's near, how have we been looking for it for 2,000 years? Second Peter 3 and 4, Peter addresses that when he says there are going to be scoffers. There are going to be those that disregard and even make fun of the fact that, that these last days are so lengthy in terms of human terms. Right? Peter already dealt with that. He said, hey, you're going to have those people that are going to look around and say, hey, this end of times that you're waiting on has been coming for 2,000 years. You must be crazy. Right? There's obviously not an end of days like you're talking about, so this Jesus thing must not be real. But remember, in 2 Peter 3, Peter goes on to say this, though, in verse 8. He says, but one day to God is as a 1,000 years. And a thousand years is as one day. And so if you put it in spiritual heavenly terms, it ain't been that long, has it? Right? One day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as one day. And if you look at it in those terms, it's only been about two days since Jesus came back from his journey to this earth. Right? It's been about 2,000 years. It's been two days for the Lord. That's just a moment. And Peter wrote that to us because he understood that as those people began to scoff, we would have to recognize that in the end of days there were going to be those that called our attention to the fact that it's been so long and we were going to continue to look around and go, well, when is this time coming? My friends, it doesn't matter whether Jesus comes back in my lifetime, in my children's lifetime, in my children's children's lifetime, or if he comes back before we finish this sermon. What really matters is that we're living in the age where he could come back at any moment. When it happens is not as important as the fact that it is going to happen. And so what do we need to do because we have this date to remember? What well, we need to be serious and watchful in our prayers. We need to pray. We need to pray. The New King James translation says be serious. But literally, that word that is translated serious there means to be sober, to be clear-minded. In other words, because the end of days is upon us, we need to be praying with a clarity of mind and a sobriety of thought. Now, if you think of sobriety in the context we do, you might be inclined to say, well, if I'm, if I'm not drinking... Or if I'm not taking a mind-altering substance of some kind, then this must not apply to me. I must be soberly praying still. But when you think of it from what its true meaning is, that anything that alters or, or, or makes your mind unclear in your prayer, you might feel like that, that having a sober prayer life has a more applicable meaning uh, to you. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been so busy doing stuff Stuff that you didn't pray about the stuff you were getting ready to do? 
Have you ever been so busy getting things done that you forgot to ask God what you ought to do in the first place? How many of you have ever planned out your... How many people plan their weeks? <sighs> yeah. You guys plan your year. but um, so, so I try to plan my week, all right? I'm not the greatest planner in the world, but I do try to say, all right, I'm going to do this Monday, I'm going to do this Tuesday, I've got this that has to happen Wednesday, so I'm not going to be able to do what I normally do, so I need to get that Thursday. And so I try to plan my week that way. How many people in all of your planning, though, how many of you take a box in your calendar and say prayer? Mm. How many of you take a box and say prayer. Can, can I tell you something? You might find if you took that box and penciled in your sober and clear-minded prayer time, that all that busyness that was going to take place after that would somehow find its way getting done. You ever notice that? I, I can tell you this in, in my life, and I've done this. I've used this illustration before in a sermon, but I'll use it because it's still applicable. Now, I live next door to the church, and so my office is back yonder. And so to get from where I live to where my office is, the best door for me to come in is, is right through that front door. And so I'll, I'll come across through there with something on my mind or a text on my mind. I'll think I need to get in there and I need to get studying on that text because it's Monday afternoon and the music minister, he needs to know what I'm preaching about by Tuesday so he can plan the song service. And so I'll get walking right through here and I can't tell you how many times I'll walk through that door and through that door and never stop. I walk right by the praying place to go back there to the busy place. And I get going. And you know that when I get back there, most of the time my mind gets lost. And I don't get nothing done until I come back out here. Because I need to be clear-minded. And I, I get that by having a prayer time with God. We get so uh, drunk on our productivity and on our busyness that we don't have time to be sober-minded with God. And so, so in light of that, there, there's a date that we need to remember. Jesus is coming soon. We don't know when, but we know he's coming. And we have some direction here that in light of that, we're supposed to be clearly and watchfully praying. And so we need to be doing that. So there's a date that we need to remember. There's also a desire, though, that we need to recognize. There's a desire that we need to recognize. Look at 8 and 9 with me. We're supposed to have a fervent love for each other. And be hospitable to one another. He gives us two things that we're really supposed to be doing. We're having a fervent love and a hospitality for one another. And he's saying at the end of days, right? Keep in mind, he's writing about the end of days. And he's saying at the end of days, we've got to, we've got to guard this community living. That's what this is. That's what, that's what a, a fellowship, a local fellowship, is really a community living type of thing. Or that's what it's supposed to be if you do it biblically speaking. It's, a, it's kind of a community living. And Peter said, I understand that it is going to get harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder to find a community of believers that live their life together. It's going to get harder because we're going to get busier. It's going to get harder because there's going to be more things pulling at us. It's going to get harder because there's more ideas in the bucket for what we ought to be doing. The more people you have, the more plans you have. The more plans you have, the less you can do what makes everybody happy. And then once you have people that ain't happy because their plan ain't being done, the more difficult it is to live in a community lifestyle. And Peter understood that as he writes that. We get busy, things get tougher, there's more persecution than ever. He says we need to protect that by being hospitable without grumbling. Hospitable literally means being warm and welcoming to guests and strangers. Be nice. Be nice. That shouldn't be a very difficult task for a a blood-bought child of God, should it? To be nice to each other? To be nice to people? But we are seeing that in the end of days, we've got to make an effort, according to the Word of God, to be hospitable and be nice to one another. And to welcome each other and welcome strangers without grumbling, without 
complaining and showing love in that way. When we interact with people, they should find us as pleasant hosts after a long journey. When someone walks in the church, they should feel the love of Christ permeating through this body. And when we see people in the world, like when I say world, I mean like Walmart. When you see people in Walmart, they should not know that you're a believer because of the Rocky Valley Baptist Church t-shirt you're wearing. They should know it by the Jesus that you're showing. I saw that. I'm not going to mention their names. They wouldn't want me to. But two members of this church, I, I, I saw that. For, I wasn't at Walmart to see it, but I caught the backside of it when the lady ended up making her way back. They were, they were at Walmart, and they showed the love of Jesus to a young lady who needed someone to show the love of Jesus to her. And then she came here, and we were able to, to help her through a situation. And you know that I've seen her since then? She's, she's doing better. It was one of those rare instances where, like, you actually help somebody in the love of Christ, and then you see them, and you find out it really helped them. But you know where it started? It started with two people showing the love of Christ, probably in the produce section of Walmart. How about that? That's what we're called to do, church. That's how this whole servant End of days, love people, be hospitable, be that welcoming host after a long journey. That's how it works. It works by being that and showing Jesus to others. And what else does it say we're supposed to do? What does that do when we're hospitable and have fervent love for one another? It covers a multitude of sins. The idea here is this. The end draws near, we get busier and busier, times get tougher and tougher, it's harder and harder to show that love. And guess what that makes us do? We sin against each other. I know that blows most of your minds, you've never experienced that with other people. But if you'll, you'll live long enough, you'll find that yes, even inside the church, we will sin against one another. We will even do it to people that we didn't even mean to do it to. Because why? Because we're sinful. And we get busier and busier and it gets tougher and tougher. And we find ourselves saying and doing things that we wish we wouldn't have said and done. But we got so much pride that rather than say, I'm sorry I said or did that, we try to cover it up and pretend that we're glad we said it or did it and that we should have said it or done it. When in reality, our mamas would kick us in our tail parts and say, there's no way you should have acted like that. And we know that. But our sinful pride says, let me hang on to what I've got. Let me ask you this question. When you're stressed out, do you tend to sin more than you do when everything's going well? I do. I'm sorry to admit that. But when things are, are not going great, right, when, when you got too much month at the end of the money and you got no gas in the car and the transmission starts making a funny noise, I tend to start to get stressed out, and when I start to get stressed out, I tend to become less focused on God and more focused on my problems, which tend to make me sin more. But man, when everything's going well, there's money in the bank account, there's food in the pantry, the kids are happy, the homework's done, it's 8 o'clock and you got time to watch a little TV. Hard to sin when everything's going right, isn't it? But we all sin when we get more stressed out. And because this sin is real and because things are tougher and because we live a life that's more stressed out, we tend to sin against each other more and more often. But Colossians 3.12 says that we are, as Christians, to put on mercies for one another. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put on mercies for one another. So how do we do that? By forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. That means this, simply, in light of what Peter is writing. If we are to be a community, a community of believers, in the end of days, we are going to have to forgive one another. Well, you don't know what he did to me. 
I don't care. Brother, it's so bad. I don't know what we should do. You should pray about it. You should talk about it. And you should forgive them. But, 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 but. You should pray about it. You should talk about it. And you should forgive them. And you should probably forgive them before you ever go talk about it. Because forgiving them is not based on what they say. It's based on whose you are. Because you can't forgive them apart from Jesus. You say, well, they didn't say they were sorry. Oh, well. Forgive them anyway. Well, Brother Jason, I talked to him. He, he doesn't even see that he has sinned against me. I explained to him how he did me so wrong and he just doesn't even see it. And, and so how can I forgive him if he doesn't really realize he did anything wrong? It's where those verses about bearing one another come into play. You ever heard that term? Well, bear with me. We said that when you're telling somebody, hey, wait a minute, bear with me. I'll get there in just a minute. Just bear with me. Bear with them. They might not realize they owe you an apology yet. They might not have it revealed to them what they've done wrong. But just bear with them anyway and love them while you wait. And one day, there'll be a reconciliation. But you've got to forgive them. And you've got to love them while you bear with them. And that's what that means. Do you know how many church splits could be avoided? If people could only grab hold of this simple truth. That love covers a multitude of sins. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to hope that you can forgive me. Because if we live together long enough, we are going to sin against each other. And we're going to have to forgive each other in the end of days if we're going to live as a community. So there's a date that we should remember. There's a desire that we should recognize. And there's a direction of our response. There's a direction of our response. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As every man has gotten a gift, we have a responsibility if we're saved to see others receive that same grace that we've had extended to us. You are to be a good steward of the grace that you have received. I want somebody to point out to me biblically where it's considered to be a good steward of anything to put it in your pocket and do nothing with it. I want you to go find me that place and then I'll change my stance on what he means with these verses. It's not there. There's nowhere in the Bible where God calls it being a good steward to put what you got in your pocket and hang on to it. No, no, no. To be a good steward of something is to pay it forward and to move it forward and to multiply it moving forward. It's always talking about furthering the kingdom of God. Verse 11, we see that the, the, the response and the reason for doing anything is to glorify God and that we respond in serving one another. We speak as an oracle of God. If we minister, we do it with the ability of God. Why? That he would be glorified through Jesus Christ. And he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. You know the greatest way not to see our church only, but churches, plural, churches, explode in this new age of millennials and technologies is to invite people to hear the word of God at a church where the word of God is preached. It's the same method that's been effective for thousands of years. The best way for people to hear about God is for people to stand and proclaim the word of God. This is how he talks to us. This is how he speaks to us. It's through his word. There is no reason why everybody in the house tonight, listen, you, you guys, you guys are the most dedicated church members of Rocky Valley Baptist Church. And here's why I say that. You came back on Sunday night. All right, it is no secret. I'm not telling the podcast folks that are listening anything that they don't already know. Every church in this county, in this state, and in this nation, every pastor I've ever talked to has the same thing going on on Sunday night. 
You got more people here on Sunday morning than you got on Sunday night. It's just a fact of life. But the people that come back on Sunday night are generally your most faithful church members. I'm patting you on the back, by the way. But because you're the most faithful church members, I'm also going to charge you with a task because there's no reason that everybody in here can't tell somebody to come to church with them next week. There's no reason. There's not one of you that doesn't have the ability to communicate with another human being through either social media or picking up the phone or talking to them at Walmart and saying, would you come to church with me next week? And imagine if we all took that attitude every week. Not just us, but, but what if Barton's Creek? What if uh, Hillcrest? What if Grace Life Baptist? What if First Baptist Lebanon? What if First Baptist Watertown? What if the journey? What if everybody took that same attitude every week? We don't have to compete for church members in this county. Do you realize that over half the church, half the county don't go to church? There's plenty of people to fill up every church in this county. The only reason that we're not doing it is because we as a church have stopped living as Christians in the end of days, living like they lived when they thought they were in the end of days, trying to promote and glorify God by spreading his gospel. Well, lost people won't come to church, Brother Jason. They just won't come to church. God's Word doesn't give you the knowledge to discern what happens when you sow seeds. God's Word calls you to be a farmer. God's Word calls you to continue to compel and, and people to come and continue to promote the Word of God, and you're just sowing those seeds. And you know what you are? You're a farmer. You're not a harvester. You're a seed planter, and God gets the harvest, doesn't he? He doesn't give you the ability to discern who will or will not respond to his gospel. Who do you think you are? How important do you think you are that you can go ahead and determine before you ever speak to someone whether or not they'll heed that call to come to church with you? Just invite them. What's the worst thing they can say? No. If there's anybody in here that ain't never been rejected, you must have been prettier than I was in your young days because I got rejected a lot. Thank God Liette was blind when I met her. <laughs> and can I just tell you something else? And this is very important to me. And then we're going we're gonna to close it up. If you're here tonight and you can't go invite somebody to come to church with you because you don't believe the word of God is going to be proclaimed when they get here, I want you to come and talk to me. Because we've got a disconnect in what we feel like is happening. I'm failing you as your pastor, and I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Because if, if, we, if you can't invite people because you don't believe what's going on in your church honors and glorifies God, we're missing the mark. And I want to talk to you. I don't want to scold you. I want to hear from you. Because I don't want you to feel that way. You should be able to invite Somebody to come into the house of the Lord with you. And if you can't invite people to come to church with you, you need to go find a new church. I hope you don't. I hope you feel like what we do here does glorify God. I feel like we try to open the book every week and proclaim his name and sing songs that glorify his name. But that's a problem if we can't go invite people to church. This evening, I want us to think of a couple things as we respond to the word of God. First, Jesus is coming soon. We don't know when, but he knows he's coming. We know it's soon in terms of the age of the church. Are you in a right standing with God in light of that knowledge? In light of the knowledge that he may come before we get out of this parking lot, are you ready? Are you ready for that to happen? And are you clearly praying? Are you soberly and clearly and diligently and watchfully praying, looking for God to return, looking for Jesus Christ to come on his second time and in this age? And if you aren't, will you lay aside whatever in the world it is that is clouding you at this point? Lay it aside this evening. And will you forgive someone? If there's someone in your life that you need to forgive or someone whom you need to go seek forgiveness from, will you come and leave that at the feet of Jesus this very evening and say, I'm going to do that. 
I'm going to get up from here and I'm going to go and I'm going to seek forgiveness whether they give it to me or not. I'm going to seek it. Will you do that this evening and not hinder the Spirit of God in the end of times? Because we are truly living in the days where Jesus could come at any moment. Let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we come to you this evening. We realize that for thousands of years the church has been looking for your return. God, we know that it could be any moment. Everything has been fulfilled that needs to be fulfilled that you could return at any moment, God. But Lord, as long as you tarry, let us live as a community here that loves one another, that forgives one another, that bears with one another, and who covers an entire multitude of our sins with the love of Christ. God, if we have anything in our lives that hinders or separates us at this time, God, would you convict us to come and lay that at your feet? God, would you burden us to go out and invite someone to come back to church with us? Make it such a burden that we can't avoid it, God. God, we love you. God, we praise you. We give you the glory, for it's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.